Thank you, ladies. And that message is the gospel that our church is on mission to spread. If you will uh, reach for your Bibles and stand with me as you turn to the book of Acts as we continue in our series on being the unstoppable church, daring to be the church on mission. We're going to look at the early church today. We're going to be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. As Pastor Chris continues in our series on daring to be the church on mission, we'll be reading from the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your mission. We pray that we would be a church that is on mission. Open our hearts and minds to be open to the word as Pastor Chris brings it to us and speak through him to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you ever heard the name Francois Fenelon, and I practice that. My daughter's taking French, so I don't know. I'll probably get informed whether that was accurate or not, but... He was the court preacher for King Louis XIV in 17th century France. And one Sunday when the king and his attendants arrived in the chapel for the regular service, no one was there but the preacher. And King Louis demanded, what does this mean? And the court preacher replied, I had published that you would not come to church today in order that your majesty might see who serves God in truth and who flatters the king. Well, uh, since our lead pastor is on vacation this week, I'm glad you're here to hear from God, uh, regardless of who's in the pulpit. And, uh, and seriously, though, we come to hear from God, Amen. And what we expect is that whoever is in the pulpit to preach the Word of God and to live it outside of the pulpit. But we are here this morning to hear from God. So I'm glad you're here, and I think you're going to be glad that you're here this morning after you hear this message. Because this morning, I want you to see from Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47 that Zach just read, that the local church is gospel devotion made visible. I almost entitled this message, Why I Love the Local Church and You Should Too. And that really is the ultimate application of what we're going to hear this morning, except I I, I, I was concerned that that would put the focus too much on me and too much on you. Because in the passage that we just heard and read together, the focus is not on us, it's on the gospel. It's on how the gospel causes those who are truly converted to be devoted to the Lord and His local church. And so today's message is directly tied to last week's message. You can go to glenwoodconnection.org and download that message and see that. But I want you to see from your Bible this morning. So if you look at Acts chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 40. And uh, if you need a pew Bible, it's page uh, 628. But I want you to see that that... What we learned last week from this passage was that gospel conviction results in gospel proclamation. Gospel conviction results in gospel proclamation. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Now, why was Peter so bold, so courageous, Why was he proclaiming the gospel? We saw last week it was because he had at least five convictions. The authority of God's word, he believed in that. The sovereignty of God's plan, the humanity and deity of God's son, the necessity of God's salvation for all peoples, and the urgency of our witness in the last days. 
And we saw that when the Spirit fills your heart with these convictions, you can't help but boldly proclaim the gospel to other people. But we also saw last week that gospel proclamation results in gospel conversions. Gospel proclamation results in gospel conversions. So we see the proclamation in verse 40, and in verse 41 we see the conversions. Notice what it says. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. Now, gospel proclamation will not always result in 3,000 people being saved. They had a captive audience there of Jewish believers and of God-fearing Gentiles that were there to worship the one true God of Israel on, on, at Pentecost, there at the temple. You talk about fruit ready to be picked. Uh, they had that opportunity. So it won't always be 3,000. And by the way, it won't always result in everyone being saved. Every time you share does not mean that everyone will respond. But gospel proclamation will result in some gospel conversion. Someone will be saved. So let me encourage you right off the bat, keep sharing the gospel. Keep urging, keep pleading, keep inviting. We've got Easter coming up, but here's the reality. You can, as you keep pleading, you must leave the saving to God. Because in verse 39, those will be saved as many as our Lord God will call. And in verse 47, it says, the Lord added. The Lord added daily those who were being saved. That does two things for me. It relieves the burden off of me of trying to get people to respond. And it motivates me to share more because it doesn't depend ultimately on me. God's sovereignty and salvation frees us to share with more people with a greater uh, anticipation and a greater expectation. So, that sounds all good, and that was from last week. But the story doesn't end there. Look at verse 42. What we see in verse 42 is that gospel conversion results in gospel devotion. Gospel conversion results in gospel devotion. Look at verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves, the New American Standard says, or continuing steadfastly, as the New King James says. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So what we see here is an ideal pattern, a gospel pattern. And here it is, gospel conviction results in gospel proclamation, which results in gospel conversions, which results in gospel devotion to the Lord and His local church. You see, the local church is gospel devotion made visible. The local church is gospel devotion made visible. The intent of this passage is unmistakable. Those who hear the gospel proclaimed and are truly converted by the indwelling Holy Spirit, will publicly profess their faith through water baptism, become a member of a local church, and persevere in devoting themselves to making Jesus and His gospel visible on earth through a local church. Now the key word in verse 42 is devoting themselves. In fact, it shows up twice in this passage, even though it's translated a little different in verse 46. In verse 46, it says, so continuing daily. Same word, so devoting themselves daily. Now, what were they devoting themselves to in this passage? Well, there's at least 10 things. If you look at verses 42 through 47, there's at least 10 things. And so look at your Bible and follow along as we look at these 10 things just briefly. First and foremost, what are they devoted to? Help me out. Verse 42, the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. That is priority one. Now, it's not popular to, have, uh, to talk about doctrine today. And many think that to grow a church, you've got to avoid doctrine, but we see right here that doctrine is priority. It is the foundation. 
It, without it, we don't know who God is. We don't know how to be saved. We don't know why we're here. We don't know where we're going, and we don't know where we're coming from without the teaching of the Bible. Secondly, we see in verse 42, fellowship with one another. They were devoted to fellowship. The, the teaching of the Scripture is not just for the head, it's for the heart. When we hear from God, we should share that with others. We should share it with one another. And then third, in verse 42, the breaking of bread represents the Lord's Supper and the table fellowship, the, the taking of the Lord's Supper, but also sitting around food. That's why we know that the first Christians were Baptists. They were devoted to potlucks. Okay, that's, that's a joke. That's a joke. There's not many in my sermon, so you better laugh when they come. Uh, number four, verse 42, prayer. They were devoted to prayer. We hear from God speak to us through his word. We speak to one another, but we also surrender and yield ourselves in prayer. Number five, and verse 43, they were devoted to God's powerful presence. They were devoted to an expectation and anticipation that God was here, that God is available and, and, and he's with us when we worship, that, the, that we're here to worship this morning an audience of one and that's why the call to worship said sing praises to him that's why every song you've heard this morning special congregational singing is that we are singing unto him and then in number six unity with one another it doesn't say uniformity it says unity the church in our church isn't about looking all the same, isn't about uh, having the same preferences, it isn't about uh, marching lockstep in all our ways, it's about diversity that is unified about, around the one true God. We just sang about Father, Son, and Spirit. Three in one, and we are many in one. It's pretty, the you know, our country, e pluribus unum, many out of one. Uh, that's the idea. We're unified around the Lord Jesus Christ. Not being Americans, by the way. I'm sorry I threw that in. Number seven, verse 45, generous giving to meet present needs. They were devoted. They, 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 they realized we're no longer owners. We're stewards. Uh, we don't have anything that belongs to us. It's all come from him. And so, so they became generous, and they were devoted to that kind of generosity. Uh, and then also in verse 46, they were devoted to a daily lifestyle of worship and a lifestyle of worship, not a one day a week worship, but a lifestyle where they went day by day. And it included a balance of gathering together as one group as a local church, but it also included going house to house in smaller groups like we have our grow groups that are going to meet tonight. And, and, and it was a balance between those two. It's not, those two are not in competition. Those two complete and complement and enable us to have a daily worship throughout the week. Number nine, there is in verse 47, they were devoted to pleasing God and impacting the lost with hearts that overflowed with joy and sincerity. God's not looking at what you're wearing today on the outside. He's looking at your heart, and He wants sincerity, and He wants joy. And listen, you know what impresses and impacts and what lost people respect? Even if they don't want anything to do with our Jesus, even if they don't want anything to do with our church, they're impressed with sincerity and daily joyfulness. Amen? Because that's what they want. That's what they're looking for. And then the tenth thing that they were devoted to is a bold witness that led to God saving the lost and adding them to the church. That's in verse 47. I like what one of my former professors says in his Acts commentary, Daryl Bach. He says this, in Acts, we never see a community turned so inward that taking the message to those outside and engaging with those outside is forgotten or ignored. So what were they devoting themselves to? What do these two, ten things, how would I summarize them? What, what does it come down to? It comes down to this. They devoted themselves to the life of the local church. They devoted themselves to the life of a local church. They demonstrated that they had gospel devotion 
by making it visible in their devotion to the Lord and his local church. So that, that brings a question that I'd like to, to present you and answer. How is gospel devotion to the, Lord, to the local church demonstrated? How is gospel devotion to the local church demonstrated? Now, obviously, it involves everything in verses 42 through 47, these 10 areas that I identified. But that word devotion means two things, and here it is in one sentence. Gospel devotion to the local church is demonstrated by active participation that perseveres through problems. Active participation that perseveres through problems. And the reason I say that is this word devoted, as you trace it through, as you do a word study of what does this word, what does it mean to be devoted? Because right now if I asked us, let's define devotion, there'd be as many definitions as there are people, but God's word tells us what it means. And it means two things. It means being all in and then staying in. When I'm devoted to something, I give myself to it. I'm all in. I'm all about it. I'm there. I show up, and I just don't show up, but I, I get involved, okay? Uh, you know, Zach here, he's, he's coaching a team to the final four of women's basketball. Is that correct? Now, where's your smile? You were beaming this morning. Beam. It's okay to be excited. He's excited. Why? He's devoted to that team. He's all in. He's excited. And he's going to stay in. That's what the idea, too. When you're devoted to something, when it gets hard, you don't jump ship. You don't quit. When you get your feelings hurt or when there's disagreement, when you're devoted to something, you stay in there. And that's what it means. It means to be all in and to stay in. It means to be actively participating and persevering in that participation through hard times. And even though it's idealistic here in Acts 2, as you read the rest of the book of Acts, let me tell you, they had problems. They had all the kind of problems, all the messiness, all the foolishness, all the yuck and the muck that we have to deal with being saved sinners of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet they were devoted. You see, gospel conversion results in gospel devotion to the local church that perseveres is active, involved in a local church on a consistent basis. So, let me ask you a question. Because it's a question that pastors must be asking. It's a question that churches must be asking in these last days, and it is this. Is gospel devotion to the local church on a decline? Well, it would seem so. In the last decade, a half dozen books have been written with titles like this. Love Jesus, Hate the Church, How to Survive in Church, or Die Trying. Here's another one. They like Jesus, but not the church. Insights from emerging generations. Here's another one. Unchristian. What a new generation really thinks about Christianity and why it matters. Here's another one. You lost me. You lost me. Why young Christians are leaving the church and rethinking the faith. So you don't want to go to church anymore. An unexpected journey. Now in this last book, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, one reader left this review. I left my church after 12 years and I felt I needed to be in church until I read your book. And then I discovered uh, it was not about going to church, but being the church. And that is to be done everywhere I go and in everything I do. I'm now fellowshipping in a small house group and feel at home. This book will definitely inspire you to be the church and not just go to church. Well, she's only half right. Because that kind of book and these kind of titles will not motivate you to go to church. It will motivate you to turn inward, 
to demand that the church be what you want it to be and find your happiness and your fulfillment in, in, in something that's totally what you want. Now, we just read in Acts chapter 2 that, it's, that we are to be the church all, all week long. We, I, we just hit that. And, but we also saw that they gathered together as one in the temple. It's not either or. It's both and. It is both and. But this is a reality. It's a reality that we have to face. It's a reality that we have to deal with. Some have called it the rise of the nuns. Not the N-U-N-S, but the N-O-N-E-S. The rise of the nuns. Pew Research, which is a respectable uh, polling organization, released a study in 2012 entitled The Rise of the Nuns. It is a huge PDF of over 80 pages, but I'll just share with you the opening sentence. This is all you need to read. The number of Americans who do not identify with any religion continues to grow at a rapid pace. One out of five of the U.S. public and one out of three of adults under 30 are religiously unaffiliated today. This is the highest percentage ever in Pew Research Center polling. So, is the gospel devotion to the local church in decline? I'm afraid it is. But that doesn't mean that it should be. And it doesn't mean that it has to be. And it certainly is not what God is calling his people to, as we'll see in this passage. Now, unfortunately, because this is a reality that churches and pastors, including our church, our pastors, that we have to deal with, there are some pastors and churches who are dealing with this decline in gospel devotion by making the church more like the world. As one pastor put it recently, we want to be a church that lost people find irresistible. They are redefining what it means to be a church. And they are refashioning the church literally according to the likes and the dislikes of the unsaved. But is becoming like the world what makes the church unstoppable in the book of Acts? I would say to you, no. But when I say that, Listen very carefully. Every local church, including ours, should find favor with lost people. That's in verse 47. We should find favor with lost people as much as it possible while still staying true to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our lives should adorn the gospel and make it more attractive to lost people. Our lives should be like a beautiful pearl necklace around a, a, a beautiful woman. She's beautiful, but the, but the necklace makes her even more attractive. It draws attention to her beauty. The gospel is beautiful, but our lives ought to draw attention to it and make it even more attractive. And we should have a good reputation with lost people outside of the church. That's exactly what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.7. Let me read it to you. He says, and he must, talking of pastors, but also the people that follow them, churches, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now notice, we're to have a good reputation with those outside the church. We're to go out and make the gospel attractive, not changing the church so that they can feel comfortable within our body as we worship the Lord God. And this is even in the book of Acts. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, 12 through 14. The beautiful balance of being attractive and, and drawing lost people to ourselves, to our Lord, and to our church is to, ba is to be balanced with the holiness and the uniqueness of being God's called out people. Now, in, in Acts chapter 5, 12 through 14, what has happened is two of God's people have been hypocrites, and they've lied to the Holy Spirit, and they've lied to the Apostle Peter, and they said that they gave 
uh, more than what they actually gave. And, and there was hypocrisy about money. And back then, church discipline took on a, a, a rather powerful form. God struck them dead. And here's the result of this. Verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all in one accord in Solomon's portico. But look at verse 13. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. Do you see the balance? They were like, oh, I, you know, the, the lost people were saying, Hey, I don't want to hang with, I mean, I'm not ready to accept their Lord. I'm not ready to accept their teachings. And I don't want to just hang out with them because, man, they're holy and their God is holy and there's consequences. But at the same time, they didn't look at them and say, oh, they're, they're judgmental, they're legalistic, they're hateful. I respect them. I'm just not ready to be a part of them. Do you see the difference? and they stay on the outside. There was a clear boundary between insiders and outsiders. Now, by seeking to please God, and by living by what He likes and dislikes, they earn the respect of the lost, but also maintain a clear difference between being saved in the church and being unsaved outside of the church. So with that as our introduction, let me share with you three reasons why the local church is gospel devotion made visible. And as I do that, I want to make a plea to our young people. I want you to listen. I want you to listen very closely. This is a commitment that you need to be making now for the future. Far too many young people leave churches like ours, go to college, and forsake the local church. I'm going to give you three reasons to make that commitment this morning. I want each member to listen today. Why? Because this is why you're an active member in this church. These three reasons are at least three of the reasons, and it'll give purpose to what you're doing. I want every attender that's here this morning, I want you to listen. This is why you should really take the next step from not just attending, but being an active member at our church. But I also want every guest, and I want every person who is here today that is not ready to identify themselves as a Christ follower and not ready to identify themselves as a part of this church, I want you to listen so that you know why we do what we do at Glenwood. And I want you to see what God has freely available to you as being a part of a local church. So with that said, let's take a look at it. Why should you love the church? Why should you be an active part of one and remain an active part of one until the day you die or the Lord returns for you? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, the local church fulfills and is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The local church is gospel devotion made visible because it fulfills and is the fulfillment of the local church. Now, when Christ was here on the earth in Matthew 16, 18, he said to Peter in the 12, upon this rock I will build my church. And he was addressing Peter. And what, he was, and what Peter had just done is Peter had just professed faith that Jesus was truly God and truly the only way of salvation. He was the Christ, the anointed one, and he said, I trust you completely. He made a profession of faith. And Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to build the church based on the proclamation of the gospel and those who respond by faith in the gospel. And then he said again in Matthew 28, uh, 19, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. And then he said in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. We call these the Great Commission. It was Jesus' final marching orders. But here's the thing. We get so familiar with this, we forget what it really means. 
So here's the question. What did the 12 apostles understand the Great Commission to mean? In other words, what would it look like to obey the Great Commission? What, what is that going to look like? How is that done? Well, we don't have to wonder. All we got to do is read the book of Acts. Because, see, the Great Commission was given in the Gospels, repeated in Acts chapter 1, and then the rest of Acts is how the apostles understood it should be fulfilled. And if you just look at Acts 2, but read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see this is how they understood it. The Great Commission, or rather obeying the Great Commission, should result in the planting, the establishing, and the multiplying of local churches in every people group until Jesus comes again. Now, this may seem obvious to you, but grasp the idea. Jesus said to Peter, upon the proclamation of the gospel, and people who make a profession of faith just like you did, I'm going to build my church. What happens in Acts chapter 2? Peter stands up, he proclaims the gospel, people make a profession of faith, and what's the result? A local church. And then as you go through the book of Acts, guess what local church, that local church did? That local church scattered and evangelized and planted other local churches until they got to a church in Antioch. And that church at Antioch was used of God to set apart the very two first missionaries sent out to the Gentile peoples. And this church sent out these missionaries. And guess what those missionaries did? They went out and did what? They proclaimed the gospel. And what was the result? Churches were planted. And then guess what? After they were done planting those churches, they went back to the first church and reported Here's what we did. We fulfilled the Great Commission. We planted churches, we established churches, and we released them to multiply more churches. Here's how one author of the book of Acts, uh, regarding the book of Acts, expressed it. The book of Acts is governed by one dominant, overriding, and all-controlling motif. This motif is the expression of the faith through missionary witness in the power of the Spirit. And then he says this, Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness, and continually churches rise out of that witness. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that inspire you? Doesn't that encourage you? Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness, and continually churches rise out of that witness. Well, that's just another reminder or another way of saying what I'm saying the church fulfills and is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Now, why should we love the local church and be devoted to it? Because it's the only way. It's the only way. It is the only way to fulfill what Jesus has commanded to do and it is the ultimate result of fulfilling it the way Jesus wants us to fulfill it. In other words, and here's the application, if you're not devoted to a local church, you're not devoted to or a part of the number one command Jesus left before he went back to heaven. You see, if you're not devoted to and an active part of a local church, there is no way that you can be involved in the marching orders of Jesus Christ that he gave until he comes back. So that's the first reason. The local church is gospel devotion made visible because it fulfills and it is, fulfilling, and it is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. But here's the second reason. The second reason that you ought to be devoted with a gospel devotion is because the local church reveals who's in and who's out. The local church reveals who's in and who's out. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse 41. So then, those who had received his word and were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. This is a powerful verse. People will sometimes ask, I've even had pastors ask this question, where is church membership 
in the local church or uh, in the Bible? Where is church membership in the Bible? And the answer is right here in verses 41 and 42. In verses 41 and 42 is one of the best places to understand what's involved in church membership. And there's at least three requirements, and we see them right in this verse, so let me give them to you. Number one, personal salvation. Personal salvation. Repenting and trusting in the gospel. John Stott is a great expositor that's now with Jesus. And here's what he says about this verse. The Lord didn't add them to the church without saving them, and he didn't save them without adding them to the church. Salvation and church membership went together. They still do. Now, that's not to say there should never be lost people in our church gatherings, like this morning. Hopefully, there are non-Christians, those who are not ready to identify with Jesus. Hopefully, you're here this morning, and I hope a whole lot of them are going to be here on Easter. Amen? In fact, there should always be unsaved people attending our church to check us out, to check God out, and to check, and to check out the claims of Christ. Because our lives ought to be so attractive during the week, and our witness so, so urgent and bold, that they're like, well, I want to come check that out. And here's another reality. Sadly, there will always be unsaved people in our church who think they're saved. And that weighs heavy on a pastor's heart. Because there are. There are this morning. I don't know who they are. They don't often know who they are. But they are. Because Jesus said, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did all these ministries in your name. We were there. We sang. We did it all. And he said, I will, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And then the third reality, and this is painful and dangerous, there will even be people who know they're not saved, but will pretend to be saved and enter churches like ours in order to destroy what God is doing and divide the flock. Jesus said, there will always be weeds among the wheat. Satan plants them there to destroy the work of God. Paul called them wolves in sheep clothing. You, they look like sheep, they talk like sheep, but they have the heart of a wolf. So, yes, there will be unsaved people for a variety of reasons in our body. But the reality is this. In this passage, personally being saved by Jesus is the number one requirement of church membership. Let me say Stott's quote again because he said it better than I can. The Lord didn't add them to the church without saving them, and he didn't save them without adding them to the church Salvation and church membership went together. They still do. Listen, we don't join a church to get saved, but we join a church because we're already saved, and that is what saved people do in the Bible. Amen? Amen. Now, that's the first requirement, personal salvation. But here's the second requirement of church membership, public identification. Public identification. Confessing and identifying with the church, with the Lord, with the gospel by water baptism. Now here's a question. It's very practical and we miss it if you don't ask it. How did the early church know how many people repented and received the gospel and the Holy Spirit on that first day when the church was born? How did they know there was 3,000 and not 5,000 or 1,000? How did they know that? I would put forth to you that they knew that because each one was baptized by immersion. You say, where was that, mu that much water? They're at the temple. If you would go today to the temple precinct in Jerusalem, you would find what are called mikvahs. They are Jewish pools of water for ceremonial cleansing. They were a picture of... They were used as a picture. And then when Jesus came on that day, the picture became a reality. And there was all these pools of water around where people were literally buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his uh, resurrection to walk in newness of life. You see, everyone who's truly born again 
publicly confesses their faith in Jesus, and then publicly identifies with Jesus and his church. At that time, it was 120 people, and on that day, 3,000 people publicly confessed Christ, identified with Christ, and said, we're no longer outside, we're inside. We're no longer unsaved, we're saved. Not because of anything we have done, but because all that he has done. He died for me, he rose for me, he reigns for me. He has given me His Holy Spirit. He has given me the forgiveness of sins. And I want the world to know. And they were baptized on the right side of salvation. Because you see, baptism doesn't help you get saved. Baptism is a look back on how you were saved and now how you're going to live as a new cleansed believer. Uh, one child came to uh, uh, a pastor and said, I need to be advertised. And what he meant was, I need to be baptized. But he said, I need to be advertised, pastor. And the pastor said, that is exactly what baptism does. It advertises to the world, I'm born again. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. And not only that, I was born into a new family, the local church. And so I'm going to identify with them, and I'm going to be devoted to them. And I'm going to be counted on. And that brings me to number three, the third requirement of, of church membership in this passage is persevering devotion. Persevering devotion. They added, they were added and steadfastly devoted to the local church. Now, here's the question. They knew how many got saved based on how many were baptized. And they knew how many were added to the church based on how many were personally devoted to the life of the church. Are you with me? How did the first church know who was a member and who wasn't? They knew who was in and who was out by the fact that those who were in were committed to being there. They were continually devoted to actively participating. You don't become a church member in name only. You don't become a church member in the New Testament by getting your name written down or just signing a card. Nothing wrong with making card commitments. We do that here. But if the only way anyone knows that you're a church member is because you signed a card five, ten years ago and we haven't seen you since, you're not a member. You're not a devoted member. How do you know how someone is a member? They can be counted on to be all in and to stay in, in the ups and downs of their own life, the ups and downs of the church life, the, the getting crossways with people and getting your toes stepped on. That's how you know. That's how you know. At our church, we offer a new members class to help each person who's born again and already baptized or ready to be baptized to know what this commitment, this devotion involves and to make that commitment public. And this is also, by the way, we're introducing the idea of our high school graduates giving them the opportunity to reaffirm their commitment to church membership. Why? Because so many of people raised in the church, if you're like my daughter or your kids that are raised in the church, they get saved, they get baptized, and they, and, and, and they basically become members through being saved, baptized, but they don't really make that personal commitment because what? They're a part of your family. You know, I, I, you know uh, I, I, uh, Pastor Bruce had said he, he was delivered from a life of drugs, or dr he was drugged to church, he was drugged to every meeting, and, uh, and, and you know, and, and there comes a time when you graduate that you have to, you, at least in our culture, when you graduate, even if you stay here in this church as a graduate, you're being treated like an adult, you're being treated like one who's got to be more responsible, and especially if you go away to college. The most important thing is not what college you go to, it's what local church are you going to be devoted to. And so it's a great opportunity for our, our high school graduates to publicly come again and say, look, I've already been saved, I've already been baptized, I've been around here all my life for, for the last 10 years, but I just want you to say, I'm owning my membership this morning. 
and I'm owning it now for the rest of my life. I can't tag along behind mom and dad anymore. It's my choices, it's my commitment, it's my devotion. Now, by this time, some of you might be saying, and I want to clarify, Chris, are you saying water baptism saves? No. Chris, are you saying that church membership saves? No, no, no. Are you saying that only committed, active church members are saved? No. Hey, I read a guy this week. When he speaks on college campuses to college ministries, he just starts his talk by saying, if you're not part of a church, you very, very likely be going to hell. And he does it based on the teaching that I'm giving you from the Word of God. Now, I'm not him. I didn't say that this morning. okay? Because I've already told you, you can be a part of this church and going to hell this morning. So, no, I'm not saying that only committed active church members are saved. Remember a couple weeks ago we learned about Judas, active church member? Okay. And there's only one way to be saved, and being baptized, joining a church, serving in a church will not save you. According to verse 38, repent and receive the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ, according to verse 21, call on the Lord, name of the Lord to be saved. According to verse 41, they gladly received the gospel message. There's only one way to be saved. But here's the point of this passage, and it is this. Being saved by faith alone in Christ alone does not exempt or excuse us from publicly identifying with a local church by water baptism. Being saved by faith alone in Christ alone does not excuse us from public identification. In other words, you can't be an obedient believer without obeying the first command of obedience. Okay, I'm obedient even though I'm not baptized. And they're out there in seminary. In seminary, I met a young man who had been in a college ministry. Parachurch, which has a tendency to undervalue the local church. Not always. Doesn't have to be. And this young man, as we were talking, friend of mine, it came found out he wasn't baptized. And I said, why aren't you baptized? Well, it's not important. Okay, I, after I passed out, and they called 911, have you read the Great Commission? Go make disciples, baptizing them. But he had been fooled into thinking that you could be an obedient believer and not obey the first command of follow the Lord in baptism. And listen to this, being saved by faith alone and Christ alone does not exempt or excuse us from a persevering commitment to being an active member in a local church. Being a devoted church member in a local church like ours is how we make the gospel visible to the lost world. And please understand, please understand me. I am not talking about invalids. I am not talking about those who are too sick or too weak who want to be here, but cannot be here. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, and this is a horrid statistic, but it's real. We're talking about the 48% of churchgoers who attend once a month. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. So the question for each of this morning each of us is really practical on this point. Are we in or are we out? It's not by what we say. It's by our devotion to this body of believers. Have you personally been born again this morning? doesn't matter what you do in this church. Have you been born again? Have you crossed from death unto life? Have you made your faith in Christ public by water baptism on the right side of salvation? And have you made a commitment to be fully devoted member of this church, an active participant who perseveres in that commitment through the good times and the, Lord, uh, and the bad times? You see, the local church is the gospel made visible to one another. It reveals who's in, who's out, who can be counted on, and who cannot be. Now listen to this. While being an active church member does not guarantee someone is saved, it does reveal who is allowing the gospel to have its intended effect on our lives. Now, that's a money quote. Please tweet that immediately. 
while being an active church member does not guarantee someone is saved, it does, it does reveal who is allowing the gospel to have its intended effect on their lives. That might be at more than 120 characters. I don't know. You'll have to check. Okay, but there still may be someone out there, and in 25 years here, I've encountered them, and that say this, yeah, but me and Jesus are okay. We're okay. Jesus is okay with me, and I'm okay with him without being devoted to a local church. I just don't need a church to be close to Jesus. Now, this is called churchless Christianity. That's churchless Christianity. And yet, churchless Christianity makes about as much sense as Christless church. Think about it. We would, we would, look, we would say, Christless church, you know, a church without the gospel, that's, that's, that's not good. But guess what? A Christianity without the local church is equally unorthodox. Now, this is made clear in the third reason why uh, the church is the gospel made visible. Number three, the local church is Jesus made visible. The local church is Jesus made visible. And this is, made, this is a powerful truth taught in the book of Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I just want you to read verses 4 and 5. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. The church is Jesus made visible. Look at uh, Acts chapter 9. This is the apostle Paul when he was Saul, and he's persecuting the church. He's trying to destroy the church, and Jesus confronts him on the way to Damascus to murder more women and children, just like ISIS, just like ISIS is doing today. This is what Saul of Tarsus was doing. And here's what Jesus said to him. He fell on the ground, verse 4, he fell on the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, because he was unsaved, says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The connection between the believers that he was persecuting and Jesus was, was almost total. What you do to them, you are doing to me. Why? Because my church is me visible on the earth. Now, I did a study once of ten images of the local church. There's at least ten. Three of the most popular ones in Scripture are this. The church is like a house with Jesus as a foundation. Now, can you imagine calling a foundation without a house on top of it? What, what do you call that? I call that a project gone bad. Okay? I call that a foundation full of water, mud, and gunk. In fact, there were some housing uh, things up on, uh, headed towards Parvin Road that had a whole bunch of foundations for a long, long time. And whenever you went by there, you just shake your head saying, what's going on with that? And, and yet, there's believers who will say, Jesus is my foundation, but I don't need the church as my house. And then another image is the bride of Christ. Now, can you imagine... The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. Now, can you imagine going to your buddy's home and saying, I really like you, but your wife, I hate her. Now, how, do you think you'd be invited back? Do you think your friend would tolerate you liking him and hating his bride? And do you think Jesus is any different? But here's the killer, the body of Christ. The church, the local church is the body and Jesus is the head. Okay, are you with me on this one? The church is the body, and that means local churches are like a body with different members, and Jesus is the head of that body. In other words, Jesus and the church are not to be separated in our thinking, in our lives, in our worship. They are connected together as a head is with a body. It's never normal to try to separate your head from your body. Can I hear an amen? We call that losing your head. When someone says you've lost your head, this is not a good sign, okay? And when you say, I'm losing my head, this is not what you want. And yet we have believers, professing believers, who say, I don't need the body, I just like the head. Can you love 
a decapitated head? Try telling your wife tonight, honey, your head's awesome. Your body, I can take it or leave it. Now, you text me tonight. You tell me how that goes. Because you won't have to text me. You'll be knocking on my door saying, I need somewhere to sleep tonight. Can you fulfill God's mission as a dismembered body part? What happens to a body part separated from the rest of the body? Watch The Walking Dead. It's a zombie apocalypse. This is not what you want. What happens to a branch separated from the vine and the rest of the branches? What do you call a branch that is cut off from the life-giving vine and the rest of the branches? I'll tell you what you call it, dead wood, firewood, John 15. That's what Jesus calls it too. What do you call a person without a family? An orphan, not good. What do you call a person who has no place to call their home? Homeless, not good. Jesus, the church, is Jesus made visible on earth. You say, yeah, but I'm connected to Jesus. You can't say I'm not. Well, guess what? If you're connected to Jesus, you know where the risen Lord has all of his attention right now? In Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, the risen Lord is revealed as standing in the midst of the local churches. So if you're tight with Jesus this morning, guess where you'll be? And by the way, those churches in Revelation were horrible. They were sinful. They were messed up. They had false doctrine in them. They had lousy pastors in them. And they had lousy church members in them. And Christ was there in the center of them, challenging them, commending them, convicting them, and yes, even warning them, I will take away your witness if you don't get in line. But he was in the midst of them. And if my perfect holy Savior can be in the midst of a messed up church, then I think I can too. And you're welcome to join our messed up church this morning. Because it is messed up. We're not perfect. But we're the body connected to the head. Well, there's more I could say, but we must close. So let me close with this. I hope the Spirit has worked this morning. I hope that you see that gospel devotion to the local church is on the decline. We're in the last days. There's a variety. I had, I, listen, if you think, I cut stuff from my sermons. I just want you to know that. Okay, I cut five reasons why the church gospel devotion is in decline. There's a lot of reasons. But it's not how it should be. It's not how it has to be in your life. And it's not what we should be striving for in our church. And so gospel devotion made visible will... Is, is being devoted to the local church. So let me just say this. If you're an outsider today who has never been personally saved, had never repented of your sins, then I would challenge you to be a part of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just say, look, I'm messed up. I, I've tried it alone. It's not working. I know that I'm going to face a holy God someday, and it's not going to go well. So I want to just turn from my sins this morning, and I want to run to Jesus. I want to run to the cross. I want to run to the resurrected Lord, and I want Him to save me this morning. That's the most important thing you can do. And when you do, you're adopted into God's family. You're born again into God's forever family, and you're secure in your salvation. But maybe you're saved this morning and you've never been baptized on the right side of salvation. Then let me challenge you this morning to publicly identify with Jesus, the gospel, and this church. And, and, we'll, and just come and tell me or write it on your communication card, on your bulletin. But come and tell me, tell me on the way out, tell me during the invitation and we'll get you lined up. And we'll, we'll, we'll just visually do it right here. But maybe you're already that and you've been attending and you love our church and you feel a part. In fact, no one around you would know you're not a member of this church, but you're, you're still an attender. Then, then sign up and say, yes, I want to go to the new members class, the next new members class as soon as possible. I want to be 
devoted to this messed up but God-ordained local church. And maybe you're here and you've been here a lot of years and you've been persevering or you've been devoted, and I just want to challenge you, persevere. Persevere in that devotion because you're making visible the Great Commission. You're making visible you're making visible who is in and who is out. Never underestimate the value of your ongoing devotion to this church. It's an encouragement to your pastors. It's an encouragement to other believers. And we sell ourselves short when we understand how much God uses devoted members to further His purposes. And there's four ways that you can make the gospel visible in the month, in the next 30 days. And I have them there listed. You can fill eggs with us next Sunday at 9 a.m. We're all filling eggs. You say, I don't even know what that means. Just come and have a good time and be, make the gospel visible. Amen? Be devoted to praying together at the next Ignite. If you see the, 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 the church was devoted to prayer, and sadly in, in all churches, prayer meetings are often the least attended but we ought to be devoted to praying together. March 29th, sign up today to serve at the extravaganza. Get out there on April 4th and make the gospel visible to our community and then pray and invite someone. Amen? Man, this, this, God is good and the church is good and we get to be a part of it. Let's bow your heads and, and let's, let's bow our heads and, and let's respond this morning. Let's not just do church as usual. Let's, let's get fired up. Let's be devoted. And I don't know what you need to do. Maybe you just need to recommit and say, Lord, I'm in it for the long haul. I know I have different seasons of enthusiasm. I have different seasons where I'm tempted to slack off and, and to pull back. And yet Jesus and the gospel just keep pulling me back to where I need to be. So as the team... Uh, sings, as, as the music is played, if you need to come up and talk to me, if you need to pray, let's make commitments this morning. Let's, let's be devoted to the local church.